One of the senses that I just had as we were singing is that some of you, maybe tonight, the whole idea of thanksgiving and gratitude, maybe the whole idea of hallelujah is a difficult concept for you because of the challenges you're facing in your own life or in your own story. Maybe you want to praise God and you're here because you're just fighting your way there and you need a reason. And I just want you to know that tonight um, is for everyone, but tonight is especially for you. For those of you that are fighting your way to Thanksgiving, this is the perfect night for us to be together and sing songs like that, truth like that, back into our souls. And so I, I want to welcome you here tonight. So many of you have welcomed me back here tonight. My name's Kyle. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I get to be the pastor of our Orange Campus of Friends Church, and it's always a privilege and a gift and an honor for me to be anywhere with the Friends family, but in particularly here with you guys at your Belinda. And this is a perfect week as we walk into Thanksgiving. This, uh, for many of us, for all of us, really is in many ways the last sane moment of the year for all of us as we take a deep breath before we walk into Thanksgiving. And then, of course, that is kind of like we're like runners at the starting gate waiting for the gun to go off. Because when the meal's finished on Thursday night for lots of us, or when we wake up the next day, it's Black Friday, and then it's Small Business Saturday, and then we might take a breath and come to church Sunday, but then we're right back to Cyber Monday and Giving Tuesday, and it's just downhill to Christmas. And we will do more in the next 30 days than many of us have done this entire year, right? There will be more shopping. There will be more spending. Our credit cards will be on fire by the time New Year's rolls around. We will have more eating. We will have more parties. And then, of course, this is the time, in addition to all of that, we decide, let's take a vacation. We should squeeze in some more family time in the midst of this. And so we will do more in these next 30 days than we do all year. But the danger, there's a danger to more, is oftentimes it creates just so much pain and craving. There's, the world is constantly going to scream that not only are we going to do more, but we need more in our life to be able to be happy, to be satisfied. And we see this idea and this craving of more start to erode people's lives. We see it in the world around us. Oftentimes we've experienced it in our own life, in our own soul. I mean, how many times the idea more, when we were kids, did we say, Oh, if only I had that, if only I had that bike, if only I had that skateboard, if only I had that football, if only I had that iPhone, if only I had that the gift of technology, if only I had that, I'd be happy. That's all I want, Mom. That's all I want, Dad, just that. But the problem is, what happens when you get that? There's something more that you need. There's the new model, or the batteries run out, or it gets broken, or something happens. And here's the idea. As we grow up, nothing really changes. It's just the cost and the pain of those things that we think are going to satisfy our soul get greater. If only I had that job. If only I went to that school. If only I had that relationship. If only I lived in that neighborhood. If only I had that car. Just, I'm, just that thing. And all of a sudden, the idea of more... And then we arrive there and it's just painful. And so how are we going to make it? How are we going to survive not just tonight or not just this week and not Thanksgiving? How are we going to survive not just this season, but how do we make it through life with this idea of more constantly being put in front of us? 
And that's why I'm glad that you guys are here tonight, especially, especially those of you just longing to catch your breath for Thanksgiving, because you're in the right place. And I hope that you take the time as you walk through this season and even into next year to come and take a deep breath every single week. Because tonight, we're going to look at the antidote to the disease of more that tends to infiltrate this world and our lives. And we're going to look at the power of gratitude. It's what we've been singing about. It's what Kyle was talking about earlier and we were praying about. It's what all of us long for, the power of gratitude. Not just one day, not just one week, not a moment in time or a season, but a life of gratitude. And that's what we're going to see. How do you build a life of gratitude on thanksgiving and contentment? We're going to look at how to build a life on thanksgiving and contentment. So I invite you guys to grab your Bibles. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Psalm 100, one of the most defining psalms about gratitude. You all probably received a card like this, hopefully on your way in. Psalm 100 is right there. You can just read it. We'll put it on the screen for you too. But as we get started, let's just read this out loud together. Enter his gates with thanks. You guys are there with me, right? Out loud, right? So let's verbalize this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. Okay, wait. We gotta have a little more energy. This is the Lord is. For the Lord is. That's right. And his love continues. That's right. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is good stuff. This is the anchor of thanksgiving and gratitude as we're going to see tonight. It expresses in just two verses the power of gratitude. We see that when we are grateful people, we have access to God. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. We know that the people in this day, this was a powerful invitation that as they came to the temple to meet with God, they would come with thanksgiving and gratitude. They were going to meet with him. They were going to hear from him. They were going to see him and experience his power. And so we see that you show up saying, thank you. That's what they're talking. We say, thank you. It moves thank you moves us closer to God and his power and his strength. And this is a written invitation, an exhortation for them about the reverence and the awe and the wonder of going to meet with God. And I'm sure that this is the way when you guys parked your cars and you walked in, you entered here just saying, thank you, thank you, I can't believe I get to be here again. And not only that, we know that God's presence isn't just contained here. Where does God live? In us. For those of us that have said yes to Jesus, where does he live? In us, through the Holy Spirit, that's right. See, Saturday night, you guys are so smart. Matthew tells me the Saturday night crowd is the smartest crowd. And I can see that. And so we know it's not about a building. It's not about a place. It's not about an event. We know that we get to wake up every day and say, ah, thank you. And we just get to move towards God with a sense of gratitude. That's what we see in these verses. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That's great news. That's something. I get excited. Some of you are getting excited. I don't know. Hold on. We have a long way to go, people. So here's the thing. This is this powerful invitation. This is what we do. And the verse is not only it tells us what to do as we come and that we have access to God, it tells us why we would even want to. It says God is good, God is loving, and God is faithful. God is good, God's loving, and God's faithful. We see that God is good, that he can be trusted, that you can depend on him. 
that he is in control, that he's loving, that he's kind, that he's tender-hearted, that he's merciful and gracious and compassionate, and that he's faithful, that he sees you, that he cares about you, that we were talking about and singing it earlier, he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, he will never abandon you, he never betrays you, and that's good news, that's why we say thank you. That's why we come, and we're overwhelmed with that. And this is a critical truth, right? Because it actually counteracts the lies that we face on a daily basis of more, right? So remember this season of more. This is the truth that counteracts that lie. This is the truth, actually, that counteracts the oldest recorded lie in the entire Bible. You guys remember, right? Back at the very beginning, Genesis. You know the story? God creates everything, and it's beautiful, and it's spectacular, and it's wonderful, and he's in relationship with his kids, and they're all part of this great experience in Adam and Eve, and it's just a place of abundance and wonder. It's a world of yes, but God says, look, there's one tree. You remember the story, right? That tree, just that one tree, this world of yes, just that tree. Just don't eat from that tree, and so Satan does what Satan continues to do every single day. He starts casting doubt on God's goodness, on his love, and on his faithfulness. And he starts whispering to them, well, can you really trust God? Can you really, is God really good? Isn't he kind of withholding if he's telling you you can't eat from that tree? That sounds kind of mean. God, I can't believe he would do that to you. And he starts, Satan tells them the oldest lie in the book which is the one thing you don't have is the one thing that you need. The one thing you don't have is the one thing you need. And isn't that the lie that the world is selling you every day right now? All those catalogs that show up in your mailbox, all those emails that come to your inbox, the text messages and the sales and everything that you see, isn't the world telling you, ha, you are one thing away from happiness? You are one thing away from gratitude. You are one thing away from contentment. And Satan absolutely leverages it, and he's constantly selling us more. That's what the next 30 days looks like. And we see the cost of this. We see the cost of this played out, right, in Genesis. That's great for about two chapters. And then from chapter 3, the whole rest of the Bible is God just redeeming the brokenness and the evil and the damage that gets woven into not just Adam and Eve's lives, but all of humanity now for generations and thousands of years because they wanted the one thing that they didn't have. And we see that turn into evil and guilt and hiding. We see it overtake and overwhelm God's people, the Israelites, in the Old Testament, right? One of the most famous and familiar passages, go home and read Numbers chapter 11 for extra credit. But I'll give you the story right now. But I want you to read it, Numbers chapter 11 for extra credit. So here's the thing, God's people, the Israelites, they have been enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. So you think about if you're enslaved and you are in slavery, what's the one thing that you want? Freedom, that's right. See, Saturday night, you're the smartest people on the planet tonight. They want freedom. It's not that hard. That's what they want. God, if only we could be free. So what does God do? Freeze them because he's faithful and he's good and he's loving and he delivers. And not only does he free them, he does all kinds of miracles to free them. And then he does all kinds of miracles to lead them. He does all kinds of miracles to protect them. He does all kinds of miracles to provide for them. It's incredible, right? We know the story. And then in Numbers chapter 11, we see he gives them water. And then he gives them this food. And you remember what that food's called? Manna. That's right. 
this wafer-like powdery stuff. And he says, I'm going to provide food literally for millions of people on a daily basis with manna. But what happens? They got a little tired of manna. They started grumbling. They started complaining. It's like, oh, we've boiled our manna. We've fried our manna. We've baked manna. We had manicotti. (laughs) Totally kidding. So anyway, they're done with it. So they grumble and they complain. And God says, fine. I'm tired of your wanting complaining. I'll give you meat. We want meat. I'll give you meat. I'm going to give you meat every single day for a month. And Moses is like, as every great like, God follower, trusting, dependable leader would be, he's like, God, I don't think you can do that. <laughs> God's like, watch. And so he provides meat for a month for these people, and they literally are gorging themselves on meat. And you know what happens? Thousands of them die of disease. And it's interesting because that place, Numbers 11, go read it. The Bible literally records it as Kibroth Hatahava in Hebrew. You know what that means? The graves of craving. Because they wanted the one thing that they thought they needed to be happy. More. And literally, that's exactly what happens in our world and in our lives. We gorge ourselves on cravings. We start to think, I'm one thing away. I'm one purchase away. I'm one neighborhood away. I'm one relationship away. We start to numb ourselves with whatever hits we feel like we need emotionally to just get through the day, to numb the pain. And literally, we end up just with empty souls, and we destroy our lives. And so what about you? Is there something that's attacking your ability to be a grateful person tonight? Is there a place that you can see you've turned yourself over to a craving and it's just eating away at your soul? There's a power in gratitude. Gratitude overwhelms the lies that Satan feeds us on a daily basis. It's like the supernatural antidote that we take to avoid the cost of more. And so how do we stay focused on Psalm 100? How do we live lives of gratitude that are built on thanksgiving and contentment? Well, we see the first thing, the Bible talks about a leading spiritual indicator in our life for thanksgiving as the foundation of contentment. And it does this in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 in the New Living, it says this, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. We see that giving, giving thanks to God is so powerful, it literally moves you towards him. And if you don't give thanks, what happens? You move away from God. Your mind becomes dark and confused. You make foolish decisions, literally by giving thanks. That's what it says here in Romans, by giving thanks. And earlier in Romans, the 20 verses prior to this, it's just unpacking all of who God is and all of what he's done. It's just summarizing his goodness and his love and his faithfulness just like we understand it. It talks about him being a good father. It talks about him being good, giving good gifts and knowing his kids. And not only that, this is Romans, right? This is us. We understand it's him giving the gift of Jesus to every single one of us. The gift of salvation, the gift of relationship, the gift of the power of the Holy Spirit, like we just talked about living in us to give comfort and peace and wisdom and guidance. All of that gets unlocked when we give thanks. 
That's what Romans is saying. We give thanks. A life of gratitude is built on the foundation of thankfulness and contentment. A life of gratitude is built on thanksgiving and contentment. And we know this. We understand this. We all understand whether we choose to follow God in Christ or not. We understand the power of thanksgiving. And you know why? How many of you are parents? How many of you have ever been around a parent? How many of you have parents? This should be everyone, just as a hint. Saturday night, don't let me down. You know what I mean? So here's the thing. This is why we understand the power of things. When we're kids or when we're raising kids, what do we teach them to say? Hopefully we teach them to say thank you. What do we teach them to say? That's right. Even if they get a gift, a terrible gift that they don't like, and it's like, I didn't want that, I wanted it. You say, grab them, and you go say. Right? We say thank you because we know there's something powerful. in it. There's a humility that gets built into our soul when we say thank you. There's just something good, and that's what Romans is talking about. That's what the Bible's talking about, the power of thank you. I mean, think about when we eat an amazing meal, when somebody takes you out for a great dinner, you say, that's right. When we get to read a book or we read social media posts or we watch a movie on Netflix and our minds actually work and we actually can think of questions and enjoy it, we should just say, thank you. That's right, because our minds are working and we get to take this in and understand it. When we want to do something and our body reacts, we say, thank you, because How does that happen? I don't know. Do you know how that happened? It's amazing. God did that. We should say thank you, right? When we go to school or work, when we're part of a team, when we do something at church and we serve and we're participating in boxes of love and we're bringing value into this world, we get a chance to take part in something bigger than us and we say thank you. That's right. That's what we get to do all the time. When we see a sunrise, when we see a sunset, When we see the beauty of creation and waterfalls and mountains or deserts or whatever, you just go, what do you say? Thank you. Because you, you, did you do that? You didn't do that. There's a good, loving Father that created all these things for you. When your heart beats, when you get to take breaths and you don't even think about it, when your eyes blink, when when all of that happens, you say, see, there's so many things we have to be thankful for. And it's the power of giving thanks. That's what Romans talks about. What's your thankfulness quotient? Are you living in gratitude? Because it's moving you towards God. And if you're not, it's, you're moving away from him. That's the invitation he's giving. And words we know come from our, our heart, the core and the center of our being. And we know then that thankful people, basically what you're declaring is, I want what I have. Thankful people want what they have. They don't want more. They don't need more. They want what they have. Thankful people want what they have. The world is constantly selling you what? Bigger, better, newer, more. But thankful people say, I want what I have. And we can see this, right? We can see this tonight when you walk out to your car. And your car, maybe that you've had about 10 years and you're keeping it going now because inflation's so high, you can't afford to buy a new one. And interest rates are crazy, and so you keep paying for it, and the paint's faded, and it's leaking things, and there's some squeaks, and sometimes the air works, and sometimes the air doesn't, and sometimes the heat comes on, and it doesn't have seat heaters or anything like your friend's cars, let alone seat coolers, but you get to walk out, and you get to see your car, and you say, I want my car. It couldn't be better. Thank you, right? That's what you say when you walk out to your car. Some of you are like, I don't say that. 
I'd love to trade my car in. I'm waiting for the ads with the big bows on them and the 0% interest rates. And I, no, you go out and you look at your car and you say, thank you. That's right. We get to go home to our apartments. The ones we've lived in for a long time are our houses, which maybe have a leaky roof and it's ready to be replaced. Gosh, it sure needs paint. But we get to go home to that house and open that door and say, thank you. That's right. We get to go home. And we get to look at our closet, pull some clothes out for church or whatever we're doing tomorrow. Our clothes may be a little outdated, just like mine, but that's okay because we just get to look at our closet and all the options we have, and we get to say, thank you. See, there's so many opportunities to say thank you that we miss on a daily basis. We get to go to work. We get to go to work for our boss. We love our boss, don't we? It's an amazing human being, our boss. So encouraging, delightful, everything that we've always wanted. We get to work with our teammates or classmates. We get to go to school, principals, and we just get to say, thank you for my boss. Thank you for my teammates. Some of us tomorrow morning that are married, we're going to wake up and we're going to see our spouse lying there with all the mattress damage from the night before, the hair everywhere, the breath that's incredible after a night of sleep. We're going to wake up and we're going to say, that's right, you better say thank you. It's part of what we get to do. Thankful people build a life of gratitude by saying, thank you. That's right. So why does it seem so hard? What kills Thanksgiving? Remember the graves of craving? Where did it start for them? Complaining. Complaining is what kills Thanksgiving. Your first step towards the graves of craving, your first step towards eroding your soul, your first step to not saying thank you is complaining and grumbling. And we get to see it. And we know it. We experience it. Because when we're complaining, this is what happens to our face, and we get angry, and we get short with people, and we get impatient, and there's nothing we can do. And it just happens. Anybody complain lately? You're like, eh, I love your honesty. I complain all the time. I mean, anybody complain about inflation or interest or the markets or politics, right? Anybody complain about your money and what you have or you don't have or your weight or your in-laws? Anybody complain about your in-laws' money or their weight or what they have or don't have? Some of you are sitting with them. Probably not a good time to raise your hand. Anybody complain about your spouse or your kids or your job or your boss or your... Anybody complain about the opportunities that you have or the opportunities you don't have or the opportunities you missed because of what happened? I mean, it's like when you think about it, it's like, gosh, it's so easy to just put ourselves in a posture of complaining instead of gratitude. We just listed all these things. It's like, ah, oh, it's so easy to be thank you. Say thank you. Thankful people say, I want what I have. And it's dangerous because complaining kills Thanksgiving. Life of gratitude is built on Thanksgiving and contentment. So if Thanksgiving is saying, I want what I have, well, then what's contentment? I'm glad you asked. Look at Philippians chapter 4. If you flip back there, we get to learn from Paul. Look at what he writes in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Clearly what Paul is teaching us is that contentment is saying, I have what I need. So Thanksgiving, right? We understand this. And thanks, contentment is I have what I need. Paul says he, I've learned contentment. 
which means what? It's not natural. It's something you don't have. You're not born with it. It's something you have to learn over time. The, the original language literally means he experienced contentment. And we get to see it. That's what he's trying to say. I, I've had everything. And for those of us that understand Paul, we understand how true that is. Paul, like, was the superhero of his day. I mean, he was kind of the, the Iron Man of that day. He had citizenship, a dual citizenship. He had passports for every country, right? He had an education, doctorates, and master's degrees. He had all kinds of wealth and influence and power. He was able to speak multiple languages. There was a time where Paul literally ruled just kind of the whole territory, all kinds of power. And now, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He literally has nothing. No more homes, no more wealth, no more money, no more employees. There's nothing that he's holding on to. And yet he says, I've learned contentment. And so it's not natural. It's not born. From the moment we're born, you look at kids right when we're raising them, they're constantly looking at something outside of themselves to satisfy. Right? It's a blanket. It's a pacifier. It's a toy. It's noise. It's just something out there somehow is going to satisfy my soul. And here's the thing. As kids grow up, become like you and me, that doesn't really change, does it? It just gets more expensive and more costly. The idea of more starts to take over. It's not a blanket or a pacifier or a toy. It's a car or it's a home. It's a relationship. It's an emotional hit or a fix. might even become an addiction that we look to satisfy our soul. And we see we're just the next purchase, the next relationship, the next thing away. The one thing I don't have is the one thing I need. But contentment, you see wars against that. It says, I have what I need. I have what I need. Paul and God understood that contentment isn't what you have, it's how you live. And it's saying, I have what I need. So how is this possible? What does Paul know that we need to understand? Well, he says, he continues, he said, remember, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I've learned the secret. And it's interesting, this time he uses a different word for contentment. The first one, he talked about contentment in the sense of it, I've experienced it, I know it, I understand it. This one, it's interesting because he talks about it more like it's a supernatural mystery. And he's like, I've learned a secret. It's kind of what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, I've got, I've got a secret to tell you. I've learned something, and I want you to know. And it's interesting, when I read this, it's almost like Paul is this now older, just kind of weathered man that's sitting in prison, but he's smiling as he's writing this. And he's like, oh, you guys, you won't believe this. I've learned the secret to contentment. I've learned what counteracts the, the insatiable desire for more that this world sells you. I, I've learned it. I've got a secret. Do you want to know what it is? Do you want to know what it is? Look at what he says, the very next verse. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I bet you've heard that verse before, haven't you? I bet some of you, probably lots of you just like me, wrote it on our shoes when we were playing basketball and football. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. I'm going to go win this game through Christ who strengthens me. I don't know about you, but I used to pray that a lot when I was walking into tests and exams. I can do this, God, through Christ who strengthens me. 
I bet some of you, when you were asking her out on a date or going to get married, you're like, I can do this, God, just strengthen me, right? How many, we've all prayed this prayer over and over and over again. But look at what he's saying is the secret to contentment is Christ. But oftentimes we want to use it like Jesus is some kind of superpower. But it's like, no, no, no. The context for this verse is that you have the ability to live in gratitude and thankfulness and contentment because of Jesus. So I can do anything through Christ. I can live with everything. I know how to live with everything. I know how to steward it well, because we talked about that in understanding Jesus. I know how to, how to serve people. I know how to live with everything and manage everything that God's given me. And I know how to live with nothing, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So some of you tonight, we were talking earlier, and I said some of you are at a place maybe where you are desperate, and you feel alone, and you feel broken, and maybe you feel isolated, and you feel like you're in prison, like Paul. What he's saying is, you're never alone. God is good. God is loving. God is faithful. He's given you Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, and he will give you comfort, and he will hold you and lead you through this because you can do anything and everything through Christ who strengthens you. That's the secret that Paul's telling us about, the secret of contentment. And that's what we believe, and that's what we know is contentment then doesn't come from our circumstances. Contentment actually transcends our circumstances, and that's exactly the way Paul summarizes the whole thing, this whole section. In verse 18, he says, at the moment, in prison, with nothing, he says, I have all that I need because he has Christ. And every day, he's grateful. He says, thank you for his meals. He says, thank you for his breath. He says, thank you for the memories. He says, thank you for the possibility. He says, thank you for all these things. Contentment says, I have what I need. And that's what Paul's saying. And if complaining kills Thanksgiving, well then, what kills contentment? And the obvious answer is comparison. I mean, just think about your own life. Think about all the things that you have. Think about the cars and the apartments and the condos and the clothing and everything we talked about. Generally speaking, we can live with thanksgiving and gratitude until we see somebody else driving a little nicer car, living in a little better neighborhood, maybe has more degrees or a bigger business or a bigger portfolio or more you know, housing than whatever it is. It's like, oh. And then all of a sudden, it just steals, steals our contentment. Comparison kills our contentment. Because we all think if we could get there, then I'll be happy. There's the more. If I just, oh, if I could just get here, it'd be amazing. And then we get here, and it's like, oh, there's still somebody else there. I need that. And so we get there, and it's like all of a sudden there is now here, and it's just not good. And so we're constantly just moving around to the next thing, comparing and looking at what it, and it steals contentment, not only in our stuff. And maybe this is you. Maybe there's a place where comparison's been stealing your contentment. This is an invitation. This is an invitation to a life of gratitude. This is an invitation to live out the powerful invitation of Psalm 100, to build a life of gratitude that will see you through today and this week and these next 30 days, built on thanksgiving, I want what I have, and contentment. I have what I need. Thanksgiving says, everybody say it, I want what I have. 
Say it. And contentment says, Thanksgiving says, and contentment is, and gratitude is the way through where we actually live that out together. And so as we close today, we're going to have an opportunity together to practice gratitude in Psalm 100. I want to invite you to grab this card that you got on your way in. If you didn't get one, I invite you to grab one on the way out. I'm sure that they will be available. Actually, you could just raise your hand right now, and they will hand you one. If I'm decoding the sign language correctly. Raise your hand, and you will get one. This is what's going to protect your heart for this week and in the next 30 days. This is what you get to take home with you. Put it in a place on your refrigerator, in your bathroom, maybe the first place you go in the morning, coffee station, whatever it might be for you. But this is what will aim your heart at Thanksgiving and contentment over the next 30 days. And here's the thing, we're going to practice together. I love it when the world proves the Bible right. Don't you? Like all these discoveries, and then you just smile and go, well, I know, that's what the Bible says. So there was this big study that Harvard did, right? All the smart people at Harvard, they studied what does it take to be a grateful person? They must know some things. And they literally defined gratitude. They said, this is a grateful person. Someone who writes three things down twice a day that they're thankful for. Three things twice a day. Easy math is? Six things. That's right. All the accountants in the room were like, six things? I I think it's six. Six things. And then you say at least two of them to someone else. That's a grateful person. So just a quick quiz, because it's Saturday night, and you're the smartest bunch. So if you list 20 things and you don't tell anyone, are you a grateful person? And the obvious answer is no. you got to tell someone. But if you write them down and you say at least two things every day to somebody, you're a grateful person. Romans 1, your heart is moving towards God. You're not going to become dark and confused and foolish. And so we're going to take some time just at the end of the service. I want to give you some time just to write. Write three things that you're grateful for. Write six things that you're grateful for. But just take a moment, write down a couple things. Something that's helpful for me at the top, I just write, I want what I have. The bottom, I write, I have what I need. I'll tell you a couple things that are on my card as you're writing. One of them is, one of them's you. You didn't even know that. Lots of you don't even know me. I could not be more grateful to be part of the Friends Church family. And so thank you for letting me be part of our family together. Another thing on my card, if you were here a few weeks ago, I told a couple stories. One of them was about my, my oldest son, my son's. They get to play football and go to college together. It's an absolute miracle. A couple years ago, through COVID, my oldest son, he lost almost his entire season. He lost all of his hope about what might be possible. They had a dream since they were eight years old to be able to do what they're doing now, and we thought it's impossible. Last year, my younger son, he's almost done with his season. 
hasn't heard from any colleges. He's coming home at night saying, Dad, I don't think it's going to happen. What am I going to do? My wife and I just flew in today from their game last night. It was freezing cold. Literally the second coldest game on record at the University of New Mexico. It was 30 degrees. And you know what we were? Grateful. Saying, God, thank you. Other story I told a few weeks ago was about my mom. Lots of you know that my dad had been declining for almost 16 years with dementia. My mom loved him, served him, cared for him every single day. Earlier this week, early in the morning on Wednesday, quickly, gently, peacefully, God took my dad home. He passed away. And it was amazing as my mom continued to lead me to gratitude, just saying, can, can you believe how kind God was after all these years to have him go so quickly? Can you believe that as we called in hospice to help lead us through those last hours, the person from hospice that was with our family was someone that I knew from the church that I grew up in, one of my best friends when I was growing up. God, just these little moments that God gave all along the way. We can aim our hearts towards gratitude in the midst of some of the most severe circumstances of life. Let me pray over you as you think, as you write what you're thankful for. So Father, tonight we, <laughs> we remember that you are good that we can count on you, that you are in control, that you are powerful, that you are consistent. God, that you are loving, that you're compassionate and caring, that you see us tonight right where we are. And God, for those of us just in places of deep desperation, I pray that you would just move close to them and help them to experience your love in a tangible way. And God, you are faithful. You never leave. You never forsake. You never abandon. You never betray. But you are good. And so we thank you. And I pray, God, I pray that our hearts would be overwhelmed with thank you as we walk through this week and in this season. I pray that it anchors our soul and aims us back to you and we don't, we don't get sucked in and blinded by the more and the cravings of this world, that the lies that Satan's going to put in front of us, God, but we stay anchored in the truth of you, even if it's by living out the discipline of gratitude and thankfulness. So God, help us to be thankful people that want what we have and content people that have what we need. Continue to speak to us and help us to respond humbly and wholeheartedly to you. We pray this in your name.